Speech Pathology Australia acknowledged the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week we showcase a conversation with inspiring and influential people who are advancing practice in one of the many and varied areas of speech pathology. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi and welcome to this week's Speak Up Conversation. I'm Amy Fitzpatrick, Senior Advisor for Disability at Speech Pathology Australia. Today we are going to speak about the much-anticipated co-creating safe and enjoyable meals training program. This online training in mealtime assistance, swallowing and food design was developed and piloted across six disability organisations and with over 160 people in 2020 and 2021. The co-design project was funded by grants to the University of Technology Sydney from the NDIS Quality and Safeguards Commission and the Victorian Department of Families, Fairness and Housing. I'm very pleased to welcome Professor Bronwyn Hemsley, who led the large interdisciplinary and inclusive team on the project, to speak about this program and how it dovetails with other NDIS trainings and mealtimes today. Bronwyn led the research underpinning this training and the collaborative co-design process with multiple partner organisations. These included Speech Pathology Australia with myself as a member of the project's co-creation panel and people with a swallowing disability with associated physical and intellectual disability employed on the project. The program has now rolled out and the training is available for a fee only at UTS at present and Bronwyn is going to explain more about the contents of the training and the train-the-trainer process today. Thank you very much for joining me, Bronwyn. Can you tell me a little bit about the Co-Creating Safe and Enjoyable Meals Project and how it's come about? Thanks for um, speaking with me, Amy, and it's really great to have a chance to talk about this project, which Speech Pathology Australia was involved in as one of the partners, along with Dietitians Australia and Occupational Therapy Australia. And it really grew out of the report from the NDIS Quality and Safeguards Commission on the deaths of people with disability um, in Australia, and particularly the deaths related to choking on food or respiratory illness and aspiration pneumonia. So it, it grew out of that a need and a recommendation for the training of support workers in particular in relation to safe meal times and dysphagia, swallowing difficulty, and also how they might be involved in choices and to go and really lead the direction on their own mealtime management as well. So it, it grew out of that and was funded for a large group of organisations. Um, including allied health associations and self-advocacy organisations, along with allied health professionals, people involved in dysphagia management, dietitians, um, occupational therapists, and also people with swallowing difficulty and their supporters. And seven disability organisations also had input into the project. 
So the co-creation part was to say, okay, here's a literature review on the coroner reports of people dying um, from choking on food. And here's a literature review around, here's the information we already know around development of mealtime training. So we took those, that literature and we, we asked the co-creation panel, what would you like to see in the training modules of a course designed to be online and to cover and to improve people's skills and knowledge so as to, to prevent choking and respiratory illness related to swallowing difficulty. So the co-creation panel that you, you met with us too is repeatedly talked and, and, and looked at versions of what could be included in the training. But also we, we ran some interviews of people with swallowing difficulty and self-advocates about what happened to them during mealtimes. And we took their scenarios and their stories and we adapted them to the training, the elements that the co-creation group was saying were important to include. So it was really co-created from the literature and from interviews with people with swallowing difficulty and their advocates and from these sort of production meetings that we held over time to gradually refine and add to and take away from what was in there so that it fitted into a full day of training. Mm, and I think some really unique parts about the program were the design elements and also the um, catering for different styles of learning. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, we, we actually included a chef in the co-creation panel um, because we wanted to, we recognised that actually it's the way people prepare food and how it looks that might impact on people's decisions to follow recommendations for texture modified food. So I guess we included more, more information from people involved in food production as well in that and, um, and maybe really looked outside what usually might be within the scope of such training. So not only how people swallow and what typical swallowing looks like, but also um, how they might value the role and lift up the importance of the role of providing mealtime assistance and lift up the importance of person-centered decision-making and involving the person with disability in all, in all of the decisions. And, and so trying to make it authentic so that people learning could imagine themselves in a situation and really relate to the examples and scenarios that were included. And so we used, we, we used the active learning model, which says if, you can, if they're authentic situations and you need to think about what would you do or what decision would you make and then discuss that, it was more designed around that type of model of learning and not really a lecture and didactic giving lots of facts or giving lots of information and then expecting people to be able to translate that into action. Yeah, that's right. And I think when I did the training, you always dread the pause when the instructor asks a question, but the support workers who attended the training were very, very talkative about their experiences and wanted to workshop some of the situations they'd been in. So there weren't many pauses at all, actually. Exactly. And all in the, in the training modules themselves, it's designed to stimulate people's own values in relation to mealtimes. 
and relate that and think about and reflection was a part of a, a lot of the training as well was reflecting on your own experiences and thinking well how might that influence what I do or, or what it might be like for a person with following difficulty so the, the reflective practice was another big part of, of the training. So we used videos, actors, we shot, um, we set up uh, visual supports to the learning to try and help immerse people in the situation. So some, some of the principles of simulation mm. were built into it as well. And at every workshop that where we've delivered the training, um, and I'll talk about the modules in that, there's four modules, and each time we deliver the training, I'm really pleased to see the support workers actually coming forward with what they view. For example, if they're asked to identify symptoms of swallowing difficulty in our animation video, then um, they can immediately see some of the symptoms. And um, it's really important to bring that knowledge forward because sometimes in, a, in providing mealtime assistance, People, people see the symptoms, but don't notice them. They don't pay attention to them. And because they're, not, they're seen as, well, that's what always happens. So I think it was really good that, you, that we could bring out what people already might notice, but actually bring that to the attention of why is it important then to refer to a speech pathologist or a dietitian or a general practitioner or occupational therapist, and who would you refer to and what would you do in response? Mm, that's right. And I think as part of your scoping, you did a survey of allied health professionals as well to understand what they're doing in their training programs. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, we did that uh, a survey, which is still open. We can invite listeners to go to that REDCAP survey with the link in the comments. Okay, great. Um, because we could then compare what the situation was last year when we did it, which was uh, we had 52 speech pathologists complete the survey and other allied health professionals as well, um, who, who made up over 100 responses. Um, but the speech pathologists um, almost all provided some training on mealtime management and whether that was to the person with dysphagia or the family members or other health professionals or whoever. But when we asked them about um, what they included in their training, um, very few of them included any information about nutrition or the, the nutritional impacts of having dysphagia. And so that was important because we wanted to make sure we did include some information on nutrition in our training because there's such a, a close link between what you eat and your nutrition and general health. So, and also few of them included any information in their training on how to respond to choking on food. And that was important because we thought, well, there's potentially uh, people concerned about the scope of their knowledge in relation to responding to choking. So we wanted the training to include general information about responding to um, choking because bystanders can do something when they notice someone choking. Um, and understand the symptoms and what to do. So I think that's a really important thing because coronial uh, reports into the deaths of people with disability often note there are bystanders present, but they don't always know what to do or they might freeze in the moment and not remember what to do. 
So the training is designed to try and help prompt that recall. And so there are some simulations and scenarios that involve choking, which can be distressing. And each time we've run the workshop, there have been people in the training who have witnessed food choking. So it's, it's really important to recognise this does happen. Um, and what would you do? What, what could staff do? What could bystanders do to help prevent it, but also how to respond to it? Yeah, that's right. And you and I were speaking about how with the introduction of the NDIS Commission standards, there has been a lot of discussion about um, whose role or responsibility it is to train people in choking first aid. And although it may be technically the role of the organisation, it is something that we all want to be mindful of and able to provide guidance around because we, we don't want people ultimately to die from a choking incident. So, exactly. And you wouldn't rely on this training for your first aid um, knowledge. Mm -hmm. However, we can reiterate and we can emphasise, we can confirm and we can uh, encourage people that they do go over their first aid advice and also they think about what would they do in a situation so that thankfully we're rarely encountering this but that because it's rare, it means that we don't necessarily get a lot of experience So, in how to respond in the moment. So the training is designed to try and simulate that a bit and help people go back and recall what would you do? What's your policy of your organisation? What, what, what pictures are up on the wall guiding you about what to do? Do you need training? So, yes, organisations have a big responsibility to set up the environment so that their staff can respond to choking appropriately. But speech pathologists who are training in texture modified food have a responsibility, I think, to reiterate messages around preventing and responding to choking, not mm -hmm. just um, the, the food element, but also the actual implementation of delivering that, that meal. And the anatomy behind it as well to give that context. Yeah, yeah, to explain that after it's gone from the mouth, you don't, it's not necessarily gone. Mm. And how, you know, checking the mouth after the swallow is their leftover food. Um, and so the, the workshops bring up lots of discussions about choice and control. Um, for example, if a person wants to go and lie down straight after a meal, you might need to talk through some of the pros and cons of doing that and risks of doing that and why it might be important to stay up um, sitting or to stay not lying down um, for a little while. So people might need to understand why you're making a recommendation, mm. not just what you're saying the person needs, but why and how can they um, look at implementing that on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that's right. So speaking of NDIS buzzwords, <laughs> um, co-design is a really important part of this program, but I think this is a true example of authentic co-design, which means that the programs developed for and by people with communication and or swallowing disabilities. So can you talk to me about how that has been part of the program and how that continues? Well, each time we've delivered the training, we've included either in the pre-recorded elements, some training from people with, with disability within it, Mm -hmm. So it's not just designed 
by and with people with disability, but can also be presented mm-hmm. by them as well. So, um, you know, it's important to include people with disability in the workshops um, wherever you can for their expertise. Mm. So, yes, including the person not only in the production of the materials where we consulted over all the scripts and all the scenarios and set up, and then we included people with disability in the trial that we, in the pilot of the training to see what they thought. And people with intellectual disability or with who didn't want to do a whole day of training, um, it can be modified to being a chat over morning tea where you're raising the same issues and talking through um, the elements that are trained to the allied health professionals or direct support workers and modify that for a conversation with people with disability about, well, what's important to you about your meals? And what are some symptoms you've noticed about swallowing? And what would you do if somebody was coughing on food? Um, so it's they're, they're in, the, in the environment as well. People with disability are often noticing things about other people's meals and often advocating for each other. So I think the co-design, the co-production, co-creation, whichever term it might fit, um, I think it most fits co-design and co-creation. And then once we had people's advice and they had input into the creation of the scenarios, and then we designed it with the learning design team. That's right. And I think being part of the... um... Is it the expert reference group? I can't remember the exact term, but being part of that process with people with disability and lived experience was just so valuable because having them say, oh, no, that term isn't right or no, that's not important to me. um, I just found that really, really invaluable um, because it's not therapist speak. Um, It's, you know, this is what will help me in my mealtime management plan or with my support worker. Yeah, this is what's important to me. Mm. And and that was really great to hear because they really brought it back to reality Mm. from the perspective of of a person with dysphagia. Mm. So it's it's really essential to include that in in people's management. What are their views? Ask people, Mm. what do you think of this, my recommendations? What, What would it be like for you if you were to have this change in your diet? What would that be like for you? What are some foods that you would really like to keep in your diet and how can we modify them to the to the recommended texture? That's right. You know, or how can how can we design your meal time so that it's safer and more enjoyable? So I think speech pathology as a field has focused on the safer part, which is really <laughs> vital, but I think we need to also focus on the more enjoyable part um, because it may be and we don't know this, but it might be that if you neglect the more enjoyable part, it's actually not safer. Or if you attend to it being more enjoyable as well, the person might be more likely to um, to follow recommendations and be safer. An example yeah. of that, so an example of it being safer and more enjoyable is really apparent in the death reports around celebrations and meal and food at parties. So everybody enjoys a, a celebration. Everybody enjoys the food at the celebration, Christmas, birthdays, whatever it is. Um, however, if you don't provide enjoyable foods for people on a texture-modified diet at a party, 
then they're more likely to take risks with the foods that are available. A, because they're hungry and B, because it's socially inclusive to enjoy the birthday cake with everybody. So we've really got to think about it when it comes to food and celebrations and cultural events and think, okay, how can we include foods of all of the ITSI levels, that's pureed, minced and moist, soft and bite-sized, regardless of knowing what everyone's diet is, so that anyone who comes along can be offered something that looks attractive, it's special, it's a treat, and it's safe to eat. So I think that's a really important thing. And, and that's why we, we developed the Cook's Companion. So if people go to the Enjoy Safe Meals website, that's the website where we're hosting a lot of the materials from the project. And we're hosting information there that we hope people will use, even if they don't do the training. So for example, the NDIS um, have produced online training about mealtime assistance that's designed for everybody. It's self-directed and it's about safe and enjoyable meals for people with swallowing difficulty. So being self-directed, it takes one to two hours online. And I think everyone should do that training. It's really helpful. It's got scenarios that we aligned that module with our one day of training. So all of the content in that mini self-directed online module is actually expanded and in more detail in the full day of training. So they dovetail quite well. And if people do that, and they, and if everyone does that one, and then if people who work with people with severe dysphagia or who supervise other staff do the full day of training, then that means they get more in-depth consideration of each of the scenarios and a lot more diversity of um, the different levels of dysphagia as well. So that's how the, that's how the training modules kind of fit together. So the Enjoy Safe Meals website has whatever materials will help people like fact sheets, additional resources, and this cook's companion. So the cook's companion was designed with the chef and dietitian, and it was designed with the whole panel as well, really, but mainly to try and improve menu planning and thinking ahead of what ingredients and food um, preparation techniques and equipment people might need to produce IDSI level food, so of any of the levels. So we had um, the chef and the dietitian worked with us closely to decide, okay, what are some meals that could be um, level seven, modified to level six, modified to level five, modified to level four. So down to the puree level of foods and how could somebody follow a recipe and then modify the, the recipe for, for any, for, for any person in the home. So that's, that Cook's Companion also has ideas for equipment and for um, parties and outings and travel and all sorts of other situations which people find themselves in because they don't always eat at home. For example, eating out at restaurants or takeaway food, um, that's another really important part of uh, our cultural lives. And so we really need to plan ahead and think how would a person be still included in that really important part of life while trying to follow a certain level of ITSI diet. 
um, and, and thinking, okay, we shouldn't put them in a position where they have to choose between safe food and enjoyable food. It, it should hopefully be both. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's also the implementation guide, which has a really useful mealtime management plan template as well. Yeah, the, the additional resources has it and the implementation guide is to help organisations think, how will we implement this training? How will we implement the resources to make a difference in our, in, after people have been trained, how will they actually do those strategies? And recommendations for example having enough time to assist the person in their meal how will organizations do that how many staff do they need to have on during meal times and uh, how can we avoid people being rushed that's one of the biggest things that that people with dysphagia told us was feeling rushed and feeling disempowered uh, and unsafe during their meal so for example how will how will staff um, prepare more than one texture of meal in one in one sitting. So yes, they have some recipes now, but do they have the equipment? Have they had anyone show them? So how could they have this um, building up people's cooking skills going on in the home, uh, even at that level to think, okay, you've got the mealtime plans, you've, got, you've stored them somewhere people can refer to easily. Everybody knows to look at that each time they produce, they're pre, um, preparing a meal, they're doing menu planning, they're doing all of this. So how can they literally implement all of those steps? Is there going to be like a food club, um, Instagram food sharing channel? Is there going to be, you know, a certain way of the, the community really getting on board with this? So it's not just seen as speech pathology, it's actually seen as, okay, this is food, this is about our diversity and inclusive foods at home and out when we're out. So how can we do it as a community? Mm, that seem, seems really good because it has to be owned by everyone in order to be effective. Yeah, and it, it, it is a big gap still between what's recommended and what's implemented. Mm. So there's gotta be some connection, say, say speech pathologists providing services and dietitians to people with disability, how do they follow up and how do they provide input that's beyond the recommendations and what could their interventions be um, for, okay, ensuring the implementation. So not just training, not just information and leave, but more, okay, what number of sessions might be helpful to really instill and implement the strategies that they've been trying to train the person in. Mm. But then there's the issue of handover of that information and how is that captured if there's a big turnover of staff in the, in the home. So there's some things that have not yet been quite re resolved or addressed by this project, but it's a start. So it gives people a start and resources and materials. If they do the one day of training, they could then do a train the trainer session and then become a trainer and deliver the training with support from UTS. Just because we've noticed that it's not only the information people need, it's also their teaching and the online learning with a, with a group of people who might not have had very much exposure to that type of training or that type of learning. 
Okay, so let's um, break it down for our members in terms of how they might access this program, do the training and then become a train the trainer. Yeah. yeah, sure. I would suggest everyone do the online module from the NDIS about mealtime management. Okay, I'll and put that link in the chat. I think everyone do that. Um, that, that brings their knowledge up to the level of the disability support workforce, mm -hmm. which is expected to do that training. And you will know, then you could refer to that and, and remind people and say, just like in the module, what you're recommending. Mm -hmm. So then there's the full day of training, which at the moment is only available at UTS, but it won't be that way forever. And the full day of, of training of this workshop um, at UTS, if you do that, then you're eligible to do the train the trainer package, which means that you have the training at UTS, you get the PowerPoint materials, you get the resources you need, and then you run a workshop of your own with support from UTS. So once you've done that, then you probably will know what it's like to deliver. And then you can decide a bit more strategically, okay, what will I do with my training? How will I what will I deliver to whom? You know, so disability organisations might, um, they might have staff who do this, who are in-house and then deliver their training in-house to the disability organisation. So I'm recommending, and the implementation guide recommends, that a speech pathologist be involved in this. And if not for the whole day of training, for the swallowing module. And that's to make sure that questions can be managed and that and the correct information is provided at that module at least. So in any case, either a speech pathologist might deliver it with a support worker or with a manager, somebody else who's done the training and the train the trainer as a co-presenting thing, because you then have the, um, the industry person involved in direct support work, either as a manager or, or as a senior, and it, it could be another allied health professional, it could be a dietitian, could be an occupational therapist, could be a speech pathologist, whichever. And then you also have that uh, connection of the implementation piece, because each time we've done the workshop, we've, we've um, had people with expertise in support work as well, either in the, in the audience or presenting, and it really helps bring out the elements of implementation what's the real world like in the workforce. So yeah, I would recommend if people do that, as a speech pathologist, you could either have input into someone else running the workshop with that swallowing module, or you could have, you could be leading the training of the, of the workshop and involving a person with disability or involving a support workforce person. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Okay. So more, more along the lines of co-presenting and trying to tease out the fact that this, there's multiple perspectives. It's not just about speech pathology training. It's, it's about mealtimes, the food and the workforce, the direct support workforce. Great, okay. Mm. And I know there were a number of speech pathologists involved both in the co-creation phase and the pilot phase. Um, have you had feedback about how the speech pathologists found the program from their point of view in delivering that those modules? Yeah, most feedback has been that it's excellent. Great. Most of the feedback. There's a couple of comments um, around 
there should be more speech pathology focused <laughs> <laughs> in it. But I think that the audience, the learners, Mm -hmm. do not need a lot of technical level of knowledge for the implementation to occur. If anything, more jargon, more detail doesn't speak to, the, to their need, which is translation. So the materials are all scripted. So the training is literally written down what the trainers say. And when, when we've had um, speech pathologists delivering it, they cannot resist going into <laughs> a lot more detail because there is a lot more detail to it but so I think we need to balance um, what is the person's need for what level of information and what will really speak to them um, is real examples scenarios and situations to help them observe and and understand something's not quite right here I need to refer to a speech pathologist or the person with disability I need to have a conversation with the person about what I'm noticing, because we're not training them to actually manage dysphagia. That's we're right. training them or teaching people to notice the symptoms, notice the problems and talk with the person, raise it in a conversation. It's actually quite difficult to do that in terms of it's a sensitive conversation. It might raise lots of prior trauma or hurt in the person if they've had, if they've had injustices done around their mealtimes in the past. So that's a sensitive conversation. It's really important to give support staff some way of raising the conversation and what to listen for. And then who to, um, how would you make referrals? Great, okay. And finally, can you just give me a snapshot of some of the modules and what uh, the okay. would learn? <laughs> well, we had, we had trouble keeping it to a day, but we had to trim things down, but it's basically four modules. The first is about the importance of the role of, of providing mealtime assistance and the importance of person-centred decisions, involving the person, consulting with them through all the stages. And the, and the other place, the other thing that's important in module one is oral health, because support staff do not always know the connection between oral health and general health and swallowing and choking and oral health. So it's a kind of a light bulb moment when we let them know that actually, yes, you know, import, the importance of good oral care connecting to swallowing, choking and, and all sorts of other health problems. So, so that's module one. And module two is around swallowing and the mechanics of swallowing and how we swallow and what this is what a typical swallow looks like. So we've made a nice animation, which is um, openly available on the Enjoy Safe Meals website. There were no other non-jargon, clear videos available for us to use. So we made an animation. So it's not perfect, but it's, it's a good illustration of the mechanics of swallowing. And so far, none of the speech pathologists in the training have <laughs> said it's not accurate or it doesn't reflect enough. So. So we think the video, the animation is probably good enough for an explanation of the typical swallow. And then, um, then we talk about what the symptoms of, of uh, disordered swallowing are. So we, we have an, another animation where people identify symptoms, food falling out of the mouth, coughing, choking, fatigue, head control, all sorts of symptoms, um, ineffective cough, and then teach them to recognize those 
and then it's about referral. So where would you refer with symptoms and how would you do that? And then the next part is responding to choking. So, okay, in the event that you do witness choking or these are the symptoms, often you don't hear anything. If it's, you might, you might notice these visible symptoms. Um, what would you do? So it steps through some animations, setting up the situation in the, in the person's home um, or when they're out at a party and, and the, list, the learners step through what would they do. Then the third module is all about food. And it's, that's the biggest module with, where we have the chef videos. So um, Loretta Raken, she helped us by simulating all of these um, recipes and showing people and demonstrating things like food molds and piping bag usage and really demystifying it. So people could see what she was doing and think, I could do that. So um, we had lots of learners go home from that module and tell us they immediately started implementing things from that module. So that was really good to hear. And they said it actually made a difference. So it would be really good to know if people are doing some of those things in module three. And module four related to um, assistive technologies and um, positioning. So it looked at, okay, you've got, the, you've got the meal time planning, the food, everything covered, but now the person's position needs to be right. So trying to help them recognise when it wasn't quite um, ideal, not necessarily a person sitting bolt upright, but really what's the best position for them and following those recommendations as well. So to do with the seat height, the table height, were the person's feet able to reach the floor, things like that. Um, and, and also getting each person might have different positioning requirements. So there was no one size fits all that, that people needed to consider that. So that, that really takes up the whole day. Yeah, that's definitely a lot to cover, but um, gives people a really good overview of the elements they need to consider. There are some things that are just touched on and are not gone into in a lot of depth, which are important. So things like the issue of ethical decision-making, how would you do that when people are not agreeing with um, each other about what, what's the best course of action? Um, also, behaviours of concern, and managing um, a, a number of people at the same time. So those are touched upon in the training, but we've got a list of resources where people can go for further information about behaviours of concern and about active support during mealtimes and ethical decision-making. So there's a number of other resources that are outlined in the additional resources section. Um, so if people go to the Enjoy Safe Meals website and go to the resources, they can see and look and download those, that information. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for your time, Bronwyn. So we'll put all of the links um, in the show notes for this episode, and we will look forward to having more information about this coming out soon. And I'll look forward to hearing more about the survey um, and seeing what members have to report on how they're going with mealtime management training and how co-design is um, happening out there in the real world from here. Thank you, Amy. And yes, it would be great to hear from people again on the Allied Health Survey. And, and we'd love to have any feedback whatsoever. There's lots of spots on the Enjoy Safe Meals website where people can write their feedback. 
and write any questions and I'll at attend to those as well. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back with another Speak Up conversation next Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast where all good podcasts are found and make sure you share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now.